Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, I started watching a cool new show on Prime Video starring Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. It's called Truth Seekers. Us. I'm Jeff Braun. I started watching the popular new Netflix show about chess. It's called The Queen's Gambit. Us. We both went nuts over the first episode of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. We'll tell you why. Can you feel it? Ancient magic resides all around us. Ours is not the only universe. There are realms beyond it, underneath it. A myriad of parallel dimensions. Hey, did you steal one of my digestives? Truth Seekers is a supernatural comedy drama series featuring Frost and Peg, who previously worked together on movies like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and more. This show debuted on October 30th, so it probably would have been more apropos had I watched it last weekend just in time for Halloween, but I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know it was a thing until I saw an ad on YouTube. Frost plays a broadband installer and technician, but he's also a paranormal investigator. You ever had a paranormal experience? This is my YouTube channel. Most haunted institute of the criminally insane. insane. Welcome, Truth Seekers, to the Truth Seekers channel. Good luck, guys. We're on the cusp of something here. A gateway between worlds. I'll see you on the other side. He gets a new partner at work, whose character's name is Elton John, LOL, and together they start investigating things that go bump in the night as they uncover a dark conspiracy. Careful. I've been a paranormal investigator for 20 years. I'll take it from him. Hello, ghosts! So I really enjoyed this show, and it's only eight episodes at no more than a half hour each, so it's a quick watch. I watched it in a, in a couple of days. Probably could have done it in one day if I really buckled down and wanted to, but I didn't want to do that. I had other things I wanted to do with my life on that first day, so I thought I'll watch for today and for tomorrow. 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not the best show out there, and it's certainly not the best show I've ever watched, but it was still a lot of fun, and it was nice to see Peg and Frost back together again, creating stuff. They're not really on screen together a whole lot. Frost is the main character, and Peg very much has a, an important but a much smaller role in this. So, as mentioned, it's a supernatural comedy, and while it does have some comedy, it gets pretty serious at times, and actually pretty scary at times too, which I quite enjoyed, because there are so many supernaturally themed shows out there and so many paranormal shows and we've seen networks try to try their hand at uh, paranormal comedies before and not do so well so they've they've managed to to walk a pretty fine line here and they've shown they can do that before with stuff like Shaun of the Dead Uh, but with this one I found it genuinely spooky it had great creepy music throughout the series There's also a really big story at play with these little sort of ghost stories mixed in, but they all fit together. 
And uh, really creative story, by the way. It was, I just found the whole thing funny and sharp. But the humor was mostly pretty subtle, uh, but not too dry either. Uh, and as well, um, the stories are actually kind of sad when you really think about the ghosts involved. Because some of these beings, that's all I really say, looks like they're tra- they've been trapped in purgatory for years, if not decades. So that's awful. And uh, there's a nice hook at the end leading to a much bigger picture. So I, I don't know, man. I just, I really enjoyed it. If you like their work, I think you should use it. There is the Elton John thing. You might think at first, really? Like you're going to call your character Elton John. But it becomes clear that there's a gag coming and it comes towards the end. And it's actually really, really funny. And one of the reasons why the funny stuff works is they often play it pretty serious so they're not you can tell that they're not overdoing it a lot of comedies they're they oversell the funny stuff but they play a lot of the stuff really serious but because and that's what makes it so funny because they're playing their ridiculous lines so seriously so i highly recommend this it had uh, really neat effects relatable characters it was just a good time truth seekers amazon prime video it's fun jeff i think you could even watch it it's not too gross for me then. No, there's nothing. Mm, hang on a second. Let me just do a quick scan back through. <laughs> there's, there's, okay, there are a couple of scenes with blood, but there's nothing superbly overt, right? Uh, like yeah. you've seen, you have definitely watched worse stuff. Maybe I will check it out because I like those guys too. Like you said, you were mentioning the other movies they've done, and it's like, I haven't seen any of those in a long time, but I remember laughing. Very loudly at all of them, especially at the uh, Shaun of the Dead and uh, oh, what's the cop one called again? Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Yeah, that's the one I should need to rewatch. That had something gross in it, featuring a uh, Timothy Dalton at the end. That uh, I still have nightmares about that visual thing. Remember how we? Uh, I, won't, I don't want to spoil that movie, but yeah, uh, he he gets hurt and it looks very painful. You know what? There is actually something kind of similar to that particular injury. <laughs> Uh, in this show. So I don't know. I guess they have a, a penchant or a thing for that kind of a wound to be inflicted upon somebody. I've never seen Paul. That's the the alien movie that they did in 2011. But uh, yeah. I've seen their other stuff. So it was really good to, to see them together. Hot Fuzz to this day remains one of my favorite films. I think it's the best thing. For, pardon me. It's my favorite piece of work that they've done and it's uh, sort of one of my comfort movies like if i don't know what to watch i know i want to watch something but i don't really know what to watch it's one of a handful of movies that i can put on with no regret and enjoy every second of it although i do have to watch hot fuzz with the subtitles on just like i had to watch this with the subtitles on malcolm mcdowell by the way is in this it was nice to see him he's plays this crotchety old man and uh, he uses a lot of slang that i don't know and what it, what I could would have never guessed what he was saying, and then when I turn on the subtitles, I saw what he was saying, but I don't <laughs> still don't know what he was saying. I, I meant to Google some of the terms used, but I, I did not. The DVD set that I bought of the original British Office, like almost twenty years ago now, that came with a glossary in the back that translated the British slang into regular English. Really? Yeah, it was like it was very helpful actually, which I'm sure. Someone in North America told him, like, hey, if you guys want to put a little dictionary in the back, let us know what half the stuff you're saying means. That'd be very helpful. 
I like that idea a lot yeah. because they do use some just bizarre terms. Not that, I mean, all slang is bizarre, I guess. So that's all kind of a ridiculous yeah, thing just, for me to say. It just depends on, you know, the slang you grow up with or that is around you all the time that you would know about. So Truth Seekers, new on Prime Video, highly recommended. As I mentioned, it is a quick watch, so your time investment is not that big of a deal. And even if you just want to watch one episode a day or one episode here and there, it still won't take you long to get through it. And I think you will enjoy yourself watching Truth Seekers, and I really do hope they go ahead with Season 2. I should probably Google that. And you know what? We're going to have a second to do that because in a moment, Jeff is going to Play some chess with you. I never thought I'd hear you say, hey, I watched a show about chess. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And many of you have been watching it, and I joined the fray this week checking out Netflix's new chess show called The Queen's Gambit. Men are going to come along and want to teach you things. Doesn't make them any smarter. You just let them blow by. And you go on ahead and do just what and how you feel like. Someday you're going to be all alone. So you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. Tell the readers of life how it feels. And to be a girl. Among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be... Beautiful. The Queen's Gambit is a miniseries starring Anya Taylor-Joy as a young woman in the 60s who becomes a chess phenom. It's fictional, based on a novel, and comes to us in TV form from Scott Frank, who has uh, been a terrific film screenwriter over the years. He wrote Out of Sight, Minority Report, The Lookout, Logan, a bunch of other movies. The show is seven episodes. I've watched the first three. And the first thing I'll say is that if you start watching it, Watch the first two together if you can, because the first episode is quite a bit different. Um, it's very good, and it's an impressive episode, but Anya Taylor-Joy, the main character of the series, is only in the first scene. The rest of the episode flashes back to when she was a child and is played by a different actress, so you don't really get the full effect of what the show is with episode one. But again, it's a fantastic episode. The little girl playing nine-year-old Beth, that's the character's name, is just outstanding. And at the beginning, we see Beth taken to an orphanage after a car crash kills her mother she's quiet in the orphanage but not really shy she makes one friend but by and large doesn't much care to socialize with the other girls there this is a, something she sort of carries into adulthood at least in the early going what she does become greatly interested in are the following chess and the tranquilizer pills that all the girls are forced to take by the orphanage to keep them settled down. This is set in Kentucky in the 1950s, by the way. She becomes addicted to both and will go to great lengths to get both as often as she can. The pills part is, you know, kind of scary, obviously. The chess part is kind of fun. We learn, or she learns the game from the custodian at the orphanage, a gruff old guy played by Bill Camp in a wonderful performance. He teaches her the basics and she's off. He's also about the only parental figure in her life who's really worth a damn um following a time jump the character is then played by anya taylor joy who is kind of amazing in this show i don't think i've seen her in anything before but her name keeps popping up lately we told you a couple of weeks ago she's been tapped to play young furiosa in the mad max fury road prequel that's in the works for example 
in this. She's a chess prodigy, and you believe it. You believe she's that good. You believe that she's that into it and that everything else in her life is mostly a distraction, just barriers in the way of getting to play more chess. She also has some attitude, which she's very good at, and a detached view of the people around her. She's sort of got like a Sheldon from Big Bang Theory vibe going, but she's much more appealing. She can carry on a normal conversation if she wants to. She just usually doesn't want to. She also misses out on a lot of things growing up in an orphanage, so it's interesting watching her sort of adapt to the world at large once she's out in it. Her life faces various forms of tumult, and she figures out how to survive, and she sometimes t- to even thrive, but it's almost always, you know, in the service of getting to play chess or getting more of the pills she loves so much. I've read some stuff about how the show gets all the chess stuff right. They hired this well-known player who also worked on the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. So if you're a chess nerd, the show apparently does not let you down. All the chess people are saying this show gets it right. There are all sorts of names for different moves and strategies in chess that I'll never understand, but I find it a fun world to be immersed in. The Queen's Gambit, by the way, is the name of an opening chess move. That's where the title comes from. It's also interesting to me to get to explore a world, you know, that I otherwise wouldn't even think about chess never crosses my mind but it's a very big deal for a lot of people who play it just a good reminder that the stuff in your life isn't you know the only stuff happening in the world the show looks amazing this is probably the best thing about it it's almost certainly going to win awards for set design and costumes they put a lot of work into making it look authentic like the 50s and 60s in america and it really pays off it's just gorgeous my only real concern which hasn't even been realized yet but because it's a netflix show i assume it will is that it might bog down a bit in the middle episodes so many netflix shows do that so we'll see like i said i'm three episodes into a seven episode series even if it does bog down in the middle the middle's not that long because it's not like it's 13 episodes or something like that but like i said so far three episodes in i'm very much enjoying the queen's gambit i highly recommend it if you're looking for an interesting drama about a subject that uh most of us don't know anything about. It is the number one trending show in Canada. I have added it to my list based on your recommendation, and I will get to it after I finish The Crown, and I'll actually touch on that in just a moment here. But chess, I love playing chess, but I'm not good at it. I never really yeah. learned how to do it well. <laughs> I understand the the basic theory. I know, you know which way all the players move, and I know, you know, sort of elementary stuff, but I've never, I don't think I've ever actually won a game of chess. Like I, I, I've, I've managed to not lose. I'll play to a stalemate, but I've never defeated anybody because I, that that's where I fail at, at chess. In order to be good at chess, you need to be able to see sort of the big picture and be able to plan three, four moves, five moves ahead of time and, and be, be able to anticipate how they will react in response and my brain just doesn't work, you know, in that way where I can see all of that unfold. I can only see sort of one move at a time. And uh, that's why I will never be good at chess, but I think it's a fascinating game. Usually when I play chess, Jeff, it's drunk chess. It's when I have buddies over, and it's been a while since we've done this, especially in 2020. <laughs> but usually one of my buddies at 2 a.m., for whatever reason, that's always when he wants to play chess. And, and then I'll reluctantly say, all right, fine, I'll play chess. You're just going to beat me anyway. And sure enough, within 10 minutes, he has me destroyed. And I will either flip the board off the table, which I have done. And it took me two weeks to find the bishop. It had buried itself behind one of my books on my book uh, case. And there was another time where I actually picked up one of my end tables and smashed it. 
Now, to be fair, I was going to get rid of that table anyway. Like, it was doomed for the garbage within 48 hours, so I just expedited that process uh, through a fit of drunken rage playing chess. But uh, I like watching people who know how to play chess play good chess. So if you, especially since the chess enthusiasts give their thumbs up for this show, then I'm in. Like when you watch a, a movie like Rocky, great movie, the boxing's super entertaining, but none of that, like they do not get the boxing right in those movies at all. No, that's, the, that's just a Hollywood thing, right? Because if they got the boxing right, those people would, probably really get hurt but just from <laughs> filming it i guess i don't know um the other thing the thing well yeah with this with me playing chess is i downloaded a chess app after i watched the first episode i lost two games in two minutes and deleted the app <laughs> i can't do this i don't like this game you know what I'll, in a moment i'll tell you about i just want to quickly follow up on the crown because i am ready to watch season four which debuts next weekend and then we want to talk about season four of fargo and season two debut this past week of the mandalorian you're listening to the couch potatoes just the tiniest changes a great many changes nothing one can do about it one just has to get on with it I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and I have indeed gotten on with it. I have caught up to where everyone else is with The Crown, because Season 4 debuts on November 15th, and I finished Season 3. I told you about the first couple of episodes last week, especially the third episode of Season 3, but I have now finished it, and I just wanted to quickly mention, she mentions in that clip uh, quite, a few, quite a few changes, and indeed that was the biggest Part of the problem with season three of The Crown is that they changed pretty much the entire cast and it took a long time to get used to. And I never really quite got there. And that's, and I mentioned it last week, all of the actors are outstanding, but I just really liked the cast in seasons one and two. And again, they're going to change the cast for seasons five and six. Like I mentioned, I believe the actor's name is Elizabeth Debicki who is going to play Princess Diana. Well, she's not going to play her until season five. because, And I didn't realize this, because in season four, it's someone I've never even heard of, uh, quite frankly. I'm just seeing if I can find her name. Um, Emma Corrin, British actress Emma Corrin, is going to play Princess Diana in season four. But yes, everybody that I know who has watched this show... And it turns out I know a lot of people who watch this. I'm like, really? You watch The Crown and you watch The Crown? Wow, I should check this out. It uh, was definitely the weakest overall season. I concur with everyone else. It was good, but there didn't seem to be any sort of overarching storyline. Not that there was a major overarching storyline in seasons one and two, but this one seemed to have the, the least amount of that. But there is a theme for that season. And uh, for me, it was... Aging, evolving, maturing, midlife crises, uh, and then Charles, Prince Charles, kind of falling into the same trap as his predecessors, with Elizabeth becoming that which used to frustrate her, which is kind of a stuffy old royal. Season finale is, uh, I found it kind of boring, and now I, I need a break from this show. So I shall reconvene. I've taken a few days off from The Crown. I watched that Truth Seekers show. I think I'm going to start season four this weekend because, as we mentioned before, Netflix has kindly provided us with preview access, which 
I quite enjoy, especially when I get to tell my friends, ah, you've been waiting for the crown for how long? Well, guess what I'm watching this weekend? L-O-L. All right, so let's move on to Fargo. Yes, we are now into the home stretch of season four of Fargo. They still control trucking, the unions, the railroad. I see you've met my daughter. Your, your daughter? The one and only. Oh, yeah. Now I see it. Huh. We need to move now before they get their heads on straight. This is what you call a transition of power. What are they? Decorative? We're warning to the other rats. This is America, sir. Last time I checked, not Soviet Russia. I'm teaching him how the world works. And how's that? It's dog eat dog. That's how dogs work. Men are more complicated. What kind of funny way of talking? I'm from Minnesota, land of a thousand lakes. It's Fargo's fourth season on FX, coming back this fall after a three-year hiatus. That season, the third, wasn't its best. It was still pretty entertaining, though, but the first two seasons were better, especially season two. The show is an anthology series, meaning it has a new cast every time out, and it has a different setting, always in the American Midwest somewhere, and always set in a different time period. Season two was in the 70s, season three was set in 2010, and of course, the series was born out of the Coen Brothers movie, Fargo, one of my favorites, and the Coens gave the show their blessing but they have not participated in it whatsoever so for season four this fall it was set or it is set in the 1950s in kansas city and it features a rivalry between two crime syndicates one of which is led by chris rock the cast also includes jesse buckley jack houston jason schwartzman ben wishaw and timothy oliphant as a marshal just like he played on justified and just like he played last week in an episode in episode one of the new season of The Mandalorian, which we'll talk about in a moment, he played he's played sheriffs before a lot as well. And even in last year's Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he played an actor who plays a sheriff. But the U.S. Marshal Service is his bread and butter. I think the Mando role was sort of him trolling the audience like, hey, can you believe I'm playing a marshal again? Either way, he's great at it. I, I get why they keep getting him to do it. And it's a welcome addition to anything I'm watching. And that's certainly the case this year on Fargo, Brett. The season hasn't grabbed me as much as some of the other seasons, but there's still a lot of good stuff in there that you come to expect. The show looks great. The acting's great. And the story's pretty interesting. It is quite slow at times, I've felt. Feels like it's being slow just... Just for the sake of being slow, like, I mean, what's the point? Get on with it. Every new scene does not require a 14-second zoom in on the house in which the scene takes place. I think they think that it adds some elegance to the proceedings or something, but it just it's a bit much at times. The real problem, though, is there's too many characters. They honestly threw about two dozen characters at us all at once, and I've had a hard time trying to keep track, especially with the Italian gang, because they are a gang divided, so you also have to sort of keep track of who is loyal to who, and, and that's been tough for me. And, so, I mean, so long as I'm complaining, the show is dangerously close to jumping the shark with the name game. Interesting character names are fun, but when no one has a name you've ever heard of before, it's distracting. I'm going to run down some of the names on Season 4 of Fargo here. Loycan, Orietta Mayflower, Jostofada, Odis, O-D-I-S, Wef, Gaetano Fada, Ethrilda, no, Ethelrita Pearl Smutney, Debrell Smutney, Lemuel Cannon, Omi Sparkman, 
Ebal Violante, Constant Calamita, Zelmer Roulette. So, I mean, that's just insane to come up with those kind of names. That sound, they all sound like joke names. You would r- run away from a town if everyone had a name like that, wouldn't you? It's bizarre. <laughs> uh, you know, who Parks and Rec did stuff like that, but they did it as a joke, like a laugh-out-loud joke, and this is not that. This is... Look how clever we are, and it's just insane. It's so weird. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, I have nitpicks, and it's not a Hall of Fame season for Fargo, but it is still one of the better shows I've seen this year, and I'm still excited to see how it's going to wrap it all up in the next few weeks for more of the 11 episodes to come. So that's where we are right now with season four of Fargo. All right, and you mentioned The Mandalorian. We'll just play some music there. Yes. Season 2 made its triumphant debut on Disney Plus this past Friday. Show me the one whose safety deemed such destruction. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi. You expect me to search the galaxy and deliver this creature to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. Jeff Braun, what did you think of episode one? I enjoyed it. I mean, I really enjoyed the Timothy Oliphant of it all, where uh, he plays the... Uh, marshal it or whatever in this little town on Tatooine again. He goes back to Tatooine, right? So there's that. That seems just to be a Star Wars staple. It's the most popular planet by far. And I just like the little western thing they did where they had the townsfolk and the enemies on the outskirts of town having to join up to defeat a, a big bad monster. I mean, it, it was a crazy monster. What, like a big giant sand worm? Or I guess it was called a crate dragon, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, that part, I enjoy that. I enjoy when they have like the adventure of the week but then they sort of bookend it with uh, the bigger story. Like he was, we went there for a reason to find uh, this armor that turns out to be quite a thing. Uh, all part of his quest to get little Yoda back to the planet of real Yodas. <laughs> the planet of real Yodas. I, I especially enjoyed. I don't know what the planet's <laughs> <laughs> well, no one knows where where Yoda actually oh. is from, right? Yeah. He was he was right. exiled or he was hiding on uh, the Dagobah system. But I, I don't yeah. think that's he's where he's anymore. from. Yeah. So no. who knows where Baby Yoda is from? But one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode is, as you as you mentioned, they go back to Tatooine. And when he's, I can't remember who he's talking to, but they say that they heard that there's another Mandalorian on Tatooine. He even says, yeah. what? As though, so I think he was almost speaking for the audience there. <laughs> they were saying, what? We're going back to Tatooine again? Like, can we not explore other parts of the outer rim of the Star Wars galaxy? But it, it worked, and there is something kind of familiar about that, that just maybe they maybe they want to make sure that it's still grounded in, well, in something that we know so it's not too brand new. And especially when he finds the old, the other, the Boba Fett armor, right? So... Yes. Now, a couple of observations. The first thing that jumped out for me when I saw the crate dragon, all I could hear was graboids. Let's call them graboids. Did you ever see Tremors? No, I did not. That that was the thing that looked too scary for me. But 
uh, when I was watching the Mandalorian, I was like, oh, it must be just like that show, that movie Tremors, which I was too scared to watch when I was a kid. I saw some people complaining about the design of the crate Dragon because I think any images I saw, well, it's supposed to have uh, feet, like legs. Oh. So I don't. I think the whole well, it was sand buried, room. half buried in the sand. Yeah, Sorry, it's half buried in the sand. We we just didn't see its feet. That's all. Oh yeah. Well, if, if it was, if its feet were down there, uh, pretty strong to be able to just plow through the ground like that. And another thing too, when you see this thing, like going under the like it's it it's moving under the sand right through this town. Would all of that sand not just collapse into the ground, or like you you wouldn't be able to stand on that sand? After that, anyway, that's just a minor nitpick. Uh, I did enjoy that John Leguizamo voiced one of the the first characters, the Mandalorian encounters. Didn't pick it up immediately. I I thought, I know that guy's voice. So I got to press press pause, of course, and I had to look up that John Leguizamo was in it. I was so happily surprised to see Timothy Oliphant in this. And I loved the opening shot. It was That was a really good, like, season two opening shot. You know, a, a TV show that recognizes that it's popular has to have that good sort of welcome back shot. And it was just really cool. I love the music in this show so much. The action is great. Super exciting climax. That big battle against the monster was so well done. It looked as good as anything you would see on a big screen. And I thought it was whole, it was just fascinating what we learned about the sand people. I'll just put it that way in case you haven't seen it. The Sand People are heavily featured in this, and we learn a lot. That gives us uh, some new insight into these people. And there was another gag, too. I don't know if you caught this, but there was a moment where one of the characters is brushing one of the Bantha's teeth. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I don't think I saw that. Yeah, it's just, it's a throwaway thing. It's on screen for maybe a second as the camera is panning across the screen, and you could see one of the characters with this gigantic brush inside this bantha's mouth brushing its teeth so i just thought that was cool so i i liked it so much i watched it twice i watched it i took a half hour break and then i watched it again i was just so excited to see the mandalorian back on tv i can't wait episode two this weekend it's on friday and a new episode every week for the next seven weeks i guess because it's eight episodes all in for season two up next jeff did you finally finish jack ryan i did Details on that coming up. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I finally finished watching Jack Ryan this week, the Amazon Prime video series about the Tom Clancy character, who was, of course, the lead in movies like The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, The Sum of All Fears, and others. In the TV series, he's played by John Krasinski, a.k.a. Jim from The Office. Jack Ryan's an analyst for the CIA who somehow always manages to enter the theater of espionage and international intrigue and get a gun in his hand. Your concern is that the Russians are secretly selling weapons to Venezuela? It would fit a pattern. It's time we stop. Hey, this ends up in the news. It's just going to cause panic. In nuclear Venezuela, you will not hear about in the news because we'll already be dead. What happened? Reyes! Look at me. Was his name ever mentioned? You guys stay. You have no protection. Nobody's coming to save us. We do this, we do this together. I can live with that. 
it's good spy thriller stuff. Uh, the show I thought was a joy to watch. Also a fun surprise when I realized when I started watching that uh, Jack Ryan's partner basically is Wendell Pierce, who played Bunk on The Wire. I love whenever that guy pops up and stuff. They're working on season three now, I believe, so you do have time to catch up before that comes out sometime in 2021. The two seasons are only eight episodes each. It's a pretty fast watch, about an hour long for each episode. And I forgot that they were only eight episodes last weekend when I was finishing it up. I kept thinking there were ten episodes until I got right near the end of the eighth episode and I realized... Well, how are they going to do two more episodes? They've already sort of taken care of everything here. And I thought, oh, maybe they'll do this. And they had one scene that took care of that. And I was like, no, I guess it's ending. And this credit started going. And it looks like, oh, that was the finale. What do you know? I thought there were two more episodes. So I think I like both seasons pretty equally. The first season is sort of... Uh, set in the Middle East. The second season is set in South America. Uh, the season one finale was definitely better, but again, that might have been just owing to my confusion. But if you're looking for a, a fun show, if you like the Jack Ryan movies, you should definitely check out the Jack Ryan TV show over on Prime Video, Brett. Yeah, I would like to watch. Somebody mentioned the other day their favorite Sean Connery movie is The Hunt for right. Red October. And that is one of those movies where... If I see it on TV, I kind of have to stop whatever I'm doing and sit down and watch Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin in a submarine because it's great. And that was our introduction to the Jack Ryan character, right? Yeah, that was the first one. And then, of course, Harrison Ford did a couple of movies. Ben Affleck did one. Chris Pine did one. And now this series. And uh, I remember when I started watching the series, I sort of just went to the Wikipedia page. And there's like... 20 or 30 books that Tom Clancy wrote with starring Jack Ryan. Like, there is a ton of stuff out there that has not been put into a movie or a show at all yet. So if you're a Jack Ryan nut, you might want to check out some reading. I didn't realize there were that many. Okay. I, I'm not going to commit to doing that, though, because I think I have 100 books at home <laughs> that I want to read, and I probably never will because I just watch too much darn television and that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother